Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Catholic Light. We are making our way through part one out of four parts of the Catechism, where we've been focusing on the Apostles' Creed. Line by line, we've been going through the Apostles' Creed, and uh, that sums up the, the Catholic faith in a nutshell in a very beautiful, simple, concise way. So today we'll talk about the communion of saints. And if you quickly rattle off the Apostles' Creed in your head, you'll see that we have four lines to go. So I believe in the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Um, when I started as a freshman at the Franciscan University of Steubenville, I encountered a number of wonderful people and things and traditions. And one of the things I encountered um, in my first few weeks there was uh, this incredible devotion to a number of saints among a number of students. So I'd grown up in a Catholic home where I knew who the saints were. Um, we you know, prayed through their intercession kind of lightly. Um, but my, my parents actually had a Catholic booking gift store, so they sold books on um, St. Therese and, you know, Padre Pio and Mother Teresa, and uh, so I was familiar with these names. But what I was not familiar with was this, this devotion to such a degree that it felt like some of my classmates had, um, like, these saintly best buds or almost, like, inside jokes with St. Therese and... Uh, I don't know, St. Maximilian Kolbe, and I was like, oh, this is different and cool, and how does one do this, or how does one reach this type of relationship? So my name is Rebecca, who is one of the saints of the Old Testament, one of the matriarchs of the Jewish faith and now the Catholic faith, um, but I hadn't really heard people talk about St. Rebecca or have like a kinship with or a devotion to St. Rebecca, and so as I'm observing um, this friendship that a number of students have with the saints um, and wanting that for myself. Someone said, you know what? The, the saints, our patron saints, often pick us. We don't pick them. So pray to know one of your patron saints. You know, pray, saint, whoever you are, who is walking by my side, interceding for me, um, you know, standing before the throne of God on, on my behalf, uh, please show yourself to me. Please help me develop a devotion to you and, and pray through your intercession. So I started doing that, and I kid you not, within the next two weeks, out of the blue, um, people are giving me little booklets on this St. Rita of Kasha. Someone gives me a holy card on St. Rita of Kasha. Someone you know, tells this anecdote about St. Rita of Kasha. I'd never heard of her, and all of a sudden she, after praying this prayer to know one of my patron saints, she comes up full force in my life. So I took that as an answer to prayer, and I started reading about the life of St. Rita of Kasha and developing a devotion to her and praying through her intercession. So you may be familiar with, with St. Rita, with St. Jude. She's one of the saints of the impossible, and she has one of those kind of wild stories where um, from a young age, she was devoted to the Lord. She wanted to become a nun, but her family was well-to-do and wanted to match her with um, a husband from another well-to-do family in Italy. So she married a man who uh, you could say was involved in kind of like a mafioso-type family dynamic. And after having two sons, um, when they were getting close to their teenage years, 
very tragically, her husband was killed in one of these feuds between different um, two different Italian families. And so the sons vowed immediately to avenge the death of their father. St. Rita, loving her sons and loving Jesus, uh, prayed that God would take her sons before they could commit a mortal sin. So she basically prayed that they would die before they could murder those who had murdered their father, St. Rita's husband. Over the next couple days, they both developed an illness, or each developed an illness, and died before they could avenge their father's death. Now, pause. You might say, like, what kind of a mother do, you know, does that? But she, she loved her sons so much, she desired their eternal salvation even more than, you know, another however many years on earth with them. And so she prayed that, that God would take them to himself so that she could spend eternity with them rather than them having the opportunity to commit mortal sin, be separated from God, and, you know, she not be able to spend eternity with them. So now with her husband dead, her son's dead, um, she returned to that desire to uh, become a nun. And the particular convent she wanted to join would not accept her because they didn't want to get involved in this feud. And if a member of you know, the, the feuding family joined the order, they feared that, that they would feel the repercussions of that. And so she had to wait something like seven years until she reconciled the families and then she was allowed to enter the order. Other incredible things were attributed to St. Rita of Cascia, such as the stigmata. So you'll often see her pictured, for example, on holy cards with a little thorn in her forehead. Um, apparently it was invisible. No one else could see the stigmata, but she suffered the, the pains of that for the remainder of her life. Um, she's also known to have levitated and um, continues to intercede in, in very miraculous ways today. So, uh, having prayed this prayer, patron saint, you know, reveal yourself to me, and then having what seemed coincidentally, but we know with God, nothing is coincidence, um, all these pamphlets and holy cards and being told stories about St. Rita of Cascia, I, I took her to, to be my patron saint and have continued to pray through her intercession um, ever since. St. Rita of Cascia's feast day is May 22nd, and um, I'm from the Philadelphia area, and there's a, a beautiful national shrine to St. Rita of Cascia in Philadelphia. And every May 22nd, her feast day, the shrine hosts a number of masses and devotions and a, a festival and sells out front red roses um, to celebrate the, the feast of St. Rita. There's a story told that at the end, very end of St. Rita's life, um, she was dying in the midst of winter, and as she lay dying, she turned to a nun who was praying, kneeling beside her bed, praying for her, and asked her to go out into the garden and bring her a rose. And so the nun, thinking that she was kind of losing losing her mind as she was dying, acquiesced, but you know, went out into this winter garden thinking there would be no roses, uh, but found a rose cut it and brought it into her. And so St. Rita is often pictured holding a rose or roses and, um, you know, many churches, and in this case, the National Shrine will, will celebrate her feast day uh, by distributing roses. So um, when we hear, again, from this line of the Apostles' Creed uh, discussion of the communion of saints, we often think of the saints in heaven, okay, these, these glorious men and women who lived 
um, incredible lives out of devotion to God and intercede on our behalf today. Well, we'll read on the second half of the episode today in today's reading selection of the Catechism um, is that the communion of saints simply means the church. So the communion of saints is not just those who have gone before us and are in heaven, but they are those who are on their way to heaven and simply need further purification, in other words, those who are in purgatory. And there are also those on earth who are, God willing, on their way to sanctity, on their way to being made saints in heaven. So the communion of saints, also known as the church, uh, is composed of three parts— those in heaven, those in purgatory, and those on earth. And together, this, these groups make the communion of saints. We read in paragraph 946 today that the communion of saints is the church. Paragraph 947 goes on to say, Since all the faithful form one body, the good of each is communicated to the others. We must therefore believe that there exists a communion of goods in the church. But the most important member is Christ, since he is the head. Therefore, the riches of Christ are communicated to all the members through the sacraments. Paragraph 954 goes on to describe the three states of the church. It says, When the Lord comes in glory and all his angels with him, death will be no more and all things will be subject to him. But at the present time, some of his disciples are pilgrims on earth. Others have died and are being purified, while still others are in glory, contemplating in full light God himself triune and one exactly as he is. So we hear about the pilgrims on earth. Those would be um, the people working their way by the grace of God to heaven, um, a.k.a. people on earth. Then the catechism describes others have died and are being purified. We would refer to those people as the souls in purgatory. And then it rounds out with still others are in glory, contemplating in full light God himself triune and one exactly as he is. In other words, those in heaven the saints. Um, these three groups are often referred to as the church militant, the church suffering, and the church triumphant. So you might have heard those terms maybe thrown out in a previous theology class or um, a Bible study or maybe a, a parish program. The church militant are the the people in the church on earth. So um, the, the name, you know, recalls the fact that we're, we're fighting the good fight. Um, we're battling sin, um, attachments, temptation, so as to be victorious with God in heaven one day. So we are, those on earth, are the church militant. The church suffering are those who have fought the good fight um, and won by the grace of God, but still need to be purified before entering heaven. So scripture tells us that nothing unclean can enter heaven. And so whether that's attachment to sin, um, something unresolved, unrepented before death, uh, that is worked out by the grace of God in purgatory. Lastly, the church triumphant, um, again, recalls the, the battle imagery. So these are the souls who have fought the good fight and won, again, by the grace of God, and are triumphant in heaven, contemplating um, he who has, has called each of us to himself. When I taught um, high school theology, in addition to covering the curriculum, I would try to, uh, we would open and close every class with prayer, and I would try to make the prayer pertinent to the liturgical calendar, whatever was going on in the church at that time. So for example, throughout the month of October, which is the month of the Holy Rosary, because we celebrate the Feast of the Holy Rosary on October 7th, we would pray one decade of the rosary every day. And it worked out pretty beautifully where there were 
essentially four weeks in October of five days each week, you know, five school days. And uh, we would pray one mystery each day, covering the first week, the five joyful mysteries, the second week, the five luminous mysteries, third week, the five sorrowful mysteries, and then the last week, the five glorious mysteries. So that by the end of October, the month of the Holy Rosary, all of my students, each of my students had prayed all of the mysteries of the rosary in their entirety. So then followed the month of November, which um, is one of my favorite months in the liturgical calendar in that we celebrate November 1st, the Feast of All Saints, and then November 2nd, we celebrate and pray for all souls or the, the souls in purgatory. So we would do, in, in many Catholic schools, you're off on um, solemnities or these these big holy days. So we didn't have school on November 1st. So prior to that, and this kind of paired well with Halloween, um, my students would do this project where, where essentially we would have a, a saint's high school reunion where every student was assigned a saint. They had to research him or her. And then we had this basically a party in class where the, the students um, – you know, posing as the saints had to go around and there were different tasks they had to accomplish so that they could share their understanding of the saint, learn about other saints. And then on All Souls Day, um, I had each of the students bring in a, a picture of a deceased family member, a friend, um, or a famous person um, that they followed, you know, followed his or her career. And they had to print off a picture and then we would make a, a big banner of all the pictures from all of my classes in the back of the classroom. And then um, throughout the month of November, we would pray for their purification and for the repose of their souls. And we would also pray through the intercession of, of the saints they had researched for All Saints Day. So I think the month of November is a, a beautiful illustration, the way that the, the church celebrates it, of, as the catechism describes, the communion of saints or the church. Uh, it's not just us who are we who are in the pews on Sundays in physical churches, but we are connected by Christ the head, Christ the head of the body of Christ, um, with those who have gone before us and whom we emulate. We pray through their intercession so that we may be where they are, that one day we may be where they already are. And we pray for those who have gone before us and are not, who are not quite there and um, for their purification that that the souls in purgatory may may get to heaven and be part of the church triumphant. And in turn, they pray for us. So the souls in purgatory um, cannot pray for themselves, but they can pray for um, all those on earth. The souls in heaven, the saints in heaven, do not need our prayers because they have already, uh, St. Paul says, you know, fought the good fight, run the race, won the prize, and uh, see God as he is in all of his glory. So uh, throughout this, this month of November, if you're listening in real time and if not, uh, if you're listening to this later, you know you can still go back and, and pray through your saint's intercession. If you don't have a patron saint um, or don't know much about the saint associated with your name, let's take this week and this month to do a little research to come to know um, a saint associated with our name. Or if, like me, you are named after an Old Testament person, or maybe you have a name that is not affiliated with any saint or any person of the Bible, um, pray that your patron saint or one of your patron saints will will reveal him or herself to you and um, do a little research as you, as you come to know him or her um, further. And then let's pray through their intercession that we may run this race, fight this good fight well, uh, so as to be triumphant with them in heaven one day. 
Let's also pray for our deceased family members and friends um, that they may be purified and brought to heaven this day if they are not already with God. Each day I pray for the repose of the souls of certain family members and friends um, who have died. And then I end my prayer by saying, and for the lost and forgotten souls, the souls who have no one to pray for them, Lord, may you purify them and bring them to heaven this day. And then I usually follow that up with, and we pray for the, I pray for the consolation and comfort of the family members and friends still on earth who have lost these, these wonderful people. So let's end the first half of our episode today by calling to mind um, any family members or friends um, who have passed away, and we'll pray for the repose of their souls, and then finish by asking our patron saints to intercede for us. Lord, we thank you for calling us to be a part of your church, for admitting us to the communion of saints, and we thank you for uh, the saints in heaven, for their example, for their intercession. And we pray for those who might be in purgatory, especially our family members and friends, for the lost and forgotten souls, the souls who have known to pray for them. We pray that you'll purify them, bring them to heaven this day, and we pray for the healing and comfort of their family and friends. For each of us who have lost loved ones, um, may we draw closer to you as we think of them, and may we all be reunited with each other in you in heaven one day. We pray eternal rest, grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. May they rest in peace. Amen. May their souls and all the souls of the faithful departed, through the mercy of God, rest in peace. Amen. We also pray through the intercession of our patron saints that you will continue to purify us, strengthen us, and give us the grace to live our lives well so that we too can be with you in heaven one day. We offer this up in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll now take a brief break and then return on the second half of the episode to read our next um, segment of the Catechism, paragraphs 934 through 962. Thanks for sticking with me. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. and welcome back. We'll now read paragraphs 934 through 962 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. In brief, among the Christian faithful by divine institution, there exist in the church sacred ministers who are also called clerics in law and other Christian faithful who are also called laity. In both groups, there are those Christian faithful who, professing the evangelical councils, are consecrated to God and so serve the church's saving mission. To proclaim the faith and to plant his reign, Christ sends his apostles and their successors. He gives them a share in his own mission. From him, they receive the power to act in his person. The Lord made St. Peter the visible foundation of his church. He entrusted the keys of the church to him. The bishop of the Church of Rome, successor to St. Peter, is head of the College of Bishops, the vicar of Christ and pastor of the Universal Church on Earth. The Pope enjoys, by divine institution, supreme, full, immediate, and universal power in the care of souls. The bishops, established by the Holy Spirit, succeed the apostles. They are the visible source and foundation of unity in their own particular churches. Helped by the priests, their co-workers, and by the deacons, the bishops have the duty of authentically teaching the faith, celebrating divine worship above all the Eucharist, and guiding their churches as true pastors. 
Their responsibility also includes concern for all the churches, with and under the Pope. The characteristic of the lay state being a life led in the midst of the world and of secular affairs, lay people are called by God to make of their apostolate, through the vigor of their Christian spirit, a leaven in the world. Lay people share in Christ's priesthood. Ever more united with him, they exhibit the grace of baptism and confirmation in all dimensions of their personal, family, social, and ecclesial lives, and so fulfill the call to holiness addressed to all the baptized. By virtue of their prophetic mission, lay people are called to be witnesses to Christ in all circumstances and at the very heart of the community of mankind. By virtue of their kingly mission, lay people have the power to uproot the rule of sin within themselves and in the world by their self-denial and holiness of life. The life consecrated to God is characterized by the public profession of the evangelical councils of poverty, chastity, and obedience in a stable state of life recognized by the church. Already destined for him through baptism, the person who surrenders himself to the God he loves above all else, thereby consecrates himself more intimately to God's service and to the good of the whole church. Paragraph 5, The Communion of Saints. After confessing the Holy Catholic Church, the Apostles' Creed adds the Communion of Saints. In a certain sense, this article is a further explanation of the preceding, what is the church if not the assembly of all the saints? The Communion of Saints is the church. Since all the faithful form one body, the good of each is communicated to the others. We must therefore believe that there exists a communion of goods in the church. But the most important member is Christ, since he is the head. Therefore, the riches of Christ are communicated to all the members through the sacraments. As this church is governed by one and the same spirit, all the goods she has received necessarily become a common fund. The term communion of saints therefore has two closely linked meanings. Communion in holy things, sancta, and among holy persons, sancti. Sancta sanctis, God's holy gifts for God's holy people, is proclaimed by the celebrant in most Eastern liturgies during the elevation of the holy gifts before the distribution of communion. The faithful, sancti, are fed by Christ's holy body and blood, sancta, to grow in the communion of the Holy Spirit, koinonia, and to communicate it to the world. Communion in Spiritual Goods In the primitive community of Jerusalem, the disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. Communion in the faith. The faith of the faithful is the faith of the church, received from the apostles. Faith is a treasure of life, which is enriched by being shared. Communion of the sacraments. The fruit of all the sacraments belongs to all the faithful. All the sacraments are sacred links, uniting the faithful with one another and binding them to Jesus Christ, and above all baptism, the gate by which we enter into the church. The communion of saints must be understood as the communion of the sacraments. The name communion can be applied to all of them, for they unite us to God. But this name is better suited to the Eucharist than to any other, because it is primarily the Eucharist that brings this communion about. The communion of charisms. Within the communion of the church, the Holy Spirit distributes special graces among the faithful of every rank for the building up of the church. Now to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. They had everything in common. Everything the true Christian has is to be regarded as a good possessed in common with everyone else. All Christians should be eager, excuse me, ready and eager to come to the help of the needy and of their neighbors in want. A Christian is a steward of the Lord's goods. Communion and Charity. In the Sanctorum Communio, none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. 
Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Charity does not insist on its own way. In the solidarity with all men, living or dead, which is founded on the communion of saints, the least of our acts done in charity redounds to the profit of all. Every sin harms this communion. The communion of the church of heaven and earth. The three states of the church. When the Lord comes in glory and all his angels with him, death will be no more and all things will be subject to him. But at the present time, some of his disciples are pilgrims on earth. Others have died and are being purified, while still others are in glory, contemplating in full light God himself triune and one, exactly as he is. All of us, however, in varying degrees and in different ways, share in the same charity towards God and our neighbors, and we all sing the one hymn of glory to our God. All indeed who are of Christ and who have his spirit form one church and in Christ cleave together. So it is that the union of the wayfarers with the brethren who sleep in the peace of Christ is in no way interrupted, but on the contrary, according to the constant faith of the church, this union is reinforced by an exchange of spiritual goods. The Intercession of the Saints Being more closely united to Christ, those who dwell in heaven fix the whole church more firmly in holiness. They do not cease to intercede with the Father for us, as they proffer the merits which they acquired on earth through the one mediator between God and men, Christ Jesus. So by their fraternal concern is our weakness greatly helped. Do not weep, for I shall be more useful to you after my death, and I shall help you then more effectively than during my life. I want to spend my heaven in doing good on earth. Communion with the Saints It is not merely by the title of example that we cherish the memory of those in heaven. We seek, rather, that by this devotion to the exercise of fraternal charity, the union of the whole church and the spirit may be strengthened. Exactly as Christian communion among our fellow pilgrims brings us closer to Christ, so our communion with the saints joins us to Christ, from whom, as from its fountain and head, issues all grace and the life of the people of God itself. We worship Christ as God's Son. We love the martyrs as the Lord's disciples and imitators, and rightly so because of their matchless devotion towards their king and master. May we also be their companions and fellow disciples. Communion with the dead. In full consciousness of this communion of the whole mystical body of Jesus Christ, the church and its pilgrim members from the very earliest days of the Christian religion has honored with great respect the memory of the dead. And because it is a holy and a wholesome thought to pray for the dead, that they may be loosed from their sins, she offers her suffrages for them. Our prayer for them is capable not only of helping them, but also of making their intercession for us effective. In the one family of God. For if we continue to love one another and to join in praising the Most Holy Trinity, all of us who are sons of God and form one family in Christ, we will be faithful to the deepest vocation of the Church. In brief, the church is a communion of saints. This expression refers first to the holy things, sancta, above all the Eucharist, by which the unity of believers who form one body in Christ is both represented and brought about. The term communion of saints refers also to the communion of holy persons, sancti, in Christ, who died for all, so that what each one does or suffers in and for Christ bears fruit for all. We believe in the communion of all the faithful of Christ, those who are pilgrims on earth, the dead who are being purified, and the blessed in heaven, all together forming one church. And we believe that in this communion, the merciful love of God and his saints is always attentive to our prayers. This brings us to the end of our reading selection and the end of our episode. Thanks for joining me for another week of Catholic Light.
Between this week and next week's episode, please join me on Instagram at Catholic Light Podcast. And I just started this week, we've talked a number of times on the episode about the practice of Lexio Divina. So I just started on um, my YouTube channel, which you can find by by searching Catholic Light Podcast, I started doing a weekly Lexio Divina. So I pick one of the gospel passages. The first one I posted this week was from All Saints Day, November 1st, where Jesus proclaims the Beatitudes in the Gospel of Matthew. So I took that reading selection and did a very light Lexio Divina. So about a five-minute video walking through the gospel passage and then prayerfully considering what might God be saying to us. So please consider joining me on my YouTube channel for a weekly Lexio Divina, uh, praying with the sacred scriptures and inviting God to speak to the particular circumstances of our lives. So please pray for me. I'll be praying for you. And in the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends, and connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week, and in the meantime, God bless you.